Welcome back to week five, day four of our look at the New Testament. We're going to look at the book of Jude today, which is about how to be a contender for what's right. Now, let me just ask you, what's the first thing you think of when you hear the book of Jude? You think, hey, Jude, that's not, that's all I'm going to sing. I could sing the whole song. You'd love it, I know, but that's all I'm going to sing. It's just interesting to me that a song from the Beatles is more familiar to us, me too, than this book from the brother of Jesus. So let's get more familiar with this book from the brother of Jesus. Jude was the brother of James, the writer of the book of James, and Jude and James were half-brothers of Jesus. The family ties in the New Testament are amazing. You just see them all through the New Testament. God uses families in powerful ways, both in reaching people for Christ and in growing people in Christ. And Jude is actually a nickname. Jude's full name was Judas. Jesus had a brother named Judas. Isn't that interesting? The disciple that was going to betray him, he had a brother who had the same name. There was also, by the way, another disciple named Judas. It was a very common name in that day. How would you like to have been the good Judas, not the bad Judas? But that's the way it went in that day with the name Judas. Jude did not believe in Jesus until after Jesus' public ministry, along with the rest of Jesus' family. They struggled. Mary understood, but his brothers and sisters struggled. Jude was present in the upper room just prior to Pentecost, so he was there for the birth of the new church. And he writes this book. God challenges him to write this book, and he inspires the book as he writes it. And it's a book that's on one subject, apostasy. An apostate is somebody who has rejected the faith. As the church began to grow and reach more people and become more popular, it began to face a problem. How do you deal with the people in the church who've rejected the faith? They say that they're growing up, that they've gone on to something better, something new. The New Testament says they never really believed. How do you deal with people who've rejected the faith? The main verse is verse 3. Contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. I love that phrase. The faith once and, all, once and for all entrusted to the saints. And there's this battle that goes on throughout this book, the book of Jude. Two contenders. In this corner, we got the challenger, the challenger to the faith. In verse 4, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God into license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Now look at what they do. They turn grace into an excuse and they deny the uniqueness of Jesus that he is Lord. Ask two questions immediately of any church, any teacher, and you'll know whether they're from God or not. What do they say about grace? And what do they say about Jesus? If they make grace into an excuse for sin, if they deny the uniqueness of Jesus in the place of salvation as the Son of God, they are a false teaching. I don't care what other good things they say, if they struggle with grace, if they struggle with Jesus, they're a false teaching. So that's one contender. And then in this corner, we got the eternal champion. We got what we're fighting for. Jude verses 24 and 25 is a prayer to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to our only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So in these verses, he reminds us, 
You make grace your confidence. How do you fight a false teaching against grace? You make grace your confidence. He is able to keep you from falling. Not you are able because of his grace. He is able to present you before his glorious presence without fault and great joy. You can't do that. That's only by his grace. You don't make your works your confidence. He he has works for you to do, but that is not your confidence before him. It is his grace. And then you exalt Jesus. That's how you fight false teaching. These verses talk about his glory, his majesty, his power, his authority. You exalt him. The book of Jude, in many ways, is a book about how to win the fight for what is right. And it has two major sections in how to do that. You gotta have a good defense and you gotta have a good offense. Verses one to 16 are about having a good defense. And in talking about that, Jude says, you gotta first study past battles. He talks about three specific battles, the battle in Egypt, the people who wanted to go back to Egypt rather than go to the promised land and how they lost that battle. They wandered in the wilderness. The battle of the angels that rebelled and fell. The battle in Sodom and Gomorrah, those cities that fell. He turns to some battles that were lost and he says, you don't want to go that direction. He also talks about three people. As he says, you got to look look at what happened in the past. He talks about Cain and Balaam and Korah. You might remember the story of Cain and fact that he lost his battle and murdered his brother, Balaam and Korah, you can look up in the Old Testament and remind yourself that in order to win the battle against the enemy, you got to study the past battles and how they were lost because people trusted in themselves again and again. In all these battles, you see that people trusted themselves instead of trusting God. People trusted the circumstances instead of trusting God. They lived for the moment instead of living for God who's eternal. So you have to know the battles. You also have to know the enemy that you're fighting. And as Jude talks about our enemy, he gives six clear pictures of the enemy of false teachers. He calls them ugly blemishes. The Greek word there is also used for hidden rocks, rocks that could rip the hull of a ship, sink it before the sailors even knew the danger. He talks about selfish shepherds. (laughs) Talk about a contradiction in terms. When a shepherd's favorite meal is lamb chops, It doesn't give the sheep a lot of confidence. So he's talking about these shepherds, so-called shepherds of the church, who are just doing it to get what they need. This third picture is clouds without rain, all promise, no delivery. He gives the picture of dead trees, no fruit, no root. He gives the picture of wild waves. I know that sounds like an amusement park, but there's nothing funny about this. They are destructive to life. He gives the picture of wandering stars, his last picture. It's the picture of falling stars. There's a quick and impressive flash, but they, don't, they just don't last. So you've got to have a good defense. You have to understand the, the past battles. You have to understand what you're fighting right now. But then he says you also have to have a good offense in order to win this battle for the truth. As he walks through this, he says you've got to remember some things. Remember, he says, that there's going to be scoffers. We talked about that in First and Second Peter. In boxing terms, don't let down your guard. Don't think, okay, everything's great with my family. Everything's great with my church. Nothing's going to go wrong. That's how I know that I can trust God because everything's great. There's going to be people who scoff. There's going to be people who fight against the faith. So don't let down your guard. Don't come to that point in life where you think because something wrong happened in my life, it means that God doesn't have an eternal plan for my life. He told us we're going to face suffering in this world. He also told us he's going to give us his promise for eternity in the next. So just remember, there's going to be scoffers fighting against the church. 
He also says you got to build yourself up in your faith in this good offense. Get yourself on a good training program to allow God to speak to your heart. Let God's word sink into your heart day after day after day. And then he says you got to pray in the Holy Spirit in this good, good offense. Not just pray, but pray in faith, recognizing the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray recognizing that God is in you to direct and empower your prayers. He says the fourth thing you got to do to have a good offense is you got to keep yourself in God's love. Never lose the focus of a father who loves you. Never forget how deeply God loves you. And then finally, the fifth thing he says is you got to deal with people with merciful discernment. The idea of merciful discernment, this is one of several places in the Bible that points to this. You deal with different people in different ways. You got to discern, is this a false teacher? How much time should I spend with them? Or is this just a hurting person? How much time should I spend with them? Your strategy should recognize the need of the person, but it also should recognize your needs. And in fact, it needs to recognize your weaknesses and, and your strengths. So with those who are in doubt, your attitude towards them is arms out to them. You want to welcome them in. With those who are in danger in their faith, your attitude is arms around them. You embrace them because they're hurting. But to those who are in the depths of sin and are unwilling to admit that they're in the depths of sin, you hold them at arm's length. Bad company corrupts good morals. You don't spend time with rebellious people. Why? Because you recognize your own propensity to lean in that direction. Now, we think we wouldn't. We think we'd be fine. But the Bible warns us, don't spend too much time around people who are involved in sin and will not admit that sin because you'll get tempted by it. you get drawn into it. You say, nah, I wouldn't. Well, the Bible says we all can and would. So I'm trusting the Bible rather than my own emotions in that one. That's how you have a good offense. Let me read those again. You remember that there's going to be scoffers, but God's still faithful. You build yourself up in your faith. You pray in the Holy Spirit, you keep yourself in God's love, and you deal with people with merciful discernment. Our Father, as we pray, help us to do just that. Help us to live lives of faith in this world. And we're hit by false teaching or we're hit by circumstances that would make us seem, make it seem like we should doubt you. I pray that you'd help us to remember the depth of your love and that we continue to build ourselves up in our faith even through those difficult times. That God, we remember that even though there's troubles in this world, the, your promise of the next and your promise of your presence and comfort and guidance in this world will never fail us. So we look to you right now and we pray that you build our faith even through difficult times. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tomorrow we end our look at the New Testament with the book of Revelation, the book of hope. Hope.